going on, everybody? This is the ChondroCast, the podcast for green tree pythons and the people that keep them. I'm your host, Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. Enjoy the show. going on everybody this is episode four of the Chondrocast. i'm justin smith of palmetto coast exotics and tonight i'm joined with mr david brahms of specialty enclosure designs what's up dude what's going on whole lot Thanks of nothing me. yeah man i'm excited i've uh <clears throat> if if most people have listened to the herpeticulture podcast they know that i'm a pretty big fan so i was looking no, forward I to this one it. yeah <clears throat> and um so let's just jump right into it. So what's what's going on on your end, man? What's what's happening? You got some chondro eggs on the ground? I do. Um, yeah, this is um, um, actually my first clutch. So I've been um, building up to this point since I don't know. I think it's like 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. where I started buying everything as little babies and raising them up and. Last year would have been my my first year, but I had a uh, mishap with the female that was gravid. She ended up um, uh, being paralyzed on the lower half of her body uh, right around egg laying time. It was a really weird uh, thing with her. So my my very first season was a was a big time bust. But uh, this year I had more success, which is good. Uh, oh, for some reason I was thinking you would you had paired them like you had gotten uh like you had paired yours before. No, no, I uh, I raised them really slow. Um, okay. You know, most people would probably have had them breeding by now, but I just really took my time mm-hmm. uh, bringing them up, and um, finally, you know, felt like this was the year to really start trying uh, pairing things up. And I had one pair in particular in mind, and, and that's the one that I was able to actually get eggs from this year. So I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about that. Yeah, that female's ridiculous, man. I posted a anybody who follows the Condorcast on Instagram, I reposted a picture that he had posted on his account of that female. It is that that turquoise, that teal. Yeah, that teal girl, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. she's insane, man. Yeah, she's beautiful. Um, I actually I got her from from Rico um, shortly before he passed. Um, so she's you know she's a pretty special snake mm-hmm. uh, in that regard. Definitely. Um, very, you know, I feel very lucky to have her in my collection. And, uh, um, you know, it's pretty nerve wracking going through that whole experience with them this year. I'm sure you probably feel the same because you just yeah. had eggs too, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. <clears throat> and I, I talked all this, all this shit about, I'm going to do maternal. I'm going to try it out. And then she laid and I looked at her. I was like, no, I'm not. She, <laughs> <clears throat> my, my, in, in my defense, she was looking pretty thin after she laid him which i expected but i didn't really expect her to look that thin and i was like i don't want to yeah. push her that much but now that i've i've seen her afterwards i think she could have done it still she was yeah. she was actually a, a still a decent weight even after laying you know the the 17 clutch that i got so yeah yeah that's awesome She's um, back on yeah, food no problem they, too so <clears throat> yeah they keep you guessing though, right? Definitely. Um, there's no, you know, you have all the best intentions and plans in place and they, they love throwing curveballs. So, um, 
you know, I don't think anybody faults you for, for not doing maternal. That's for sure. I'll try it eventually. It just, it was one of those things where I was like, man, she's a, because she's a big Biox. She's a very, she's a large female. So I was like, she'll yeah. be able to handle it. She'll be able to do it. And uh, she probably could have. But like I said, I saw her and I was like, oh man, she's going to look so rough after that though. Like that's going to be like too much. So I, yeah. ended, up, I ended up calling it. <clears throat> yep. Is she uh, back on food? Oh yeah. Yeah. I fed yeah. her. I gave her one mouse. I gave her an adult mouse uh, with some of the supplement that I got from Harlan um, last week, and then I gave her some more today, and she hammered all of it. So, oh, cool. That's she'll be, good. She'll be, yeah, she'll be back up to size in no time. She'll, she'll pack on the, uh, the grams. No, no issues. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> but uh, as far as what you're keeping right now, I mean, what do you? How many? How big is your collection? You know, is it do you keep in just condros or do you have other stuff? Yeah, my my collection's fairly modest. Um, I've been growing it slow. Uh, right now, I have all condros except for one um, IJ that I've uh, held on to, which I'll probably end up um, selling when the weather gets warm uh, to focus exclusively on the condros. Mm-hmm. Um, my my collection is I'm, I'm trying to build up a Manaquari collection. Yeah, I noticed you were big on that, that locality yep. in particular. I, I, I really like the, the phenotype, and, and um, so, you know, whenever I see appropriate animals pop up that are available, I try to I try to grab them mm-hmm. uh, when I can. Um, I think my total collection um, is right around 13 or 14 animals, so it's not huge by any means. Um, but you know, I, I think it's good. It's a good size cause I can, I can give them the attention that I think that they need Yeah. and, uh, and really stay on top of, of each of them to make sure everybody's okay. Um, and you know, as it stands right now, I, I built a special room to house all these guys and, and, uh, at the time I thought it'd be plenty big enough and it's certainly <laughs> not, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I'm, I'm limited by the space in that room mm-hmm. currently, unless I bump it out. But um, yeah, so it, it's small, and and um, you know, like I said, I'm trying to build up some manaquari and and really focus on that that locality um, coming up. And I've got um, let's see, three Aru uh, that I picked up as babies uh, last year. Um, just for the heck of it to, to raise them up and, and see what they're like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so yeah, that's, that's about the extent of my collection right now. That's nice though. I kind of, I, I sort of like having a smaller, I mean, I say that, but it's in terms of just chondros, like having a smaller collection, I think is kind of the way to go. Yep. You know, you can build it from there with your own, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing with mine is like, I started out with, you know, everyone's sort of baseline animals that everyone kind of gets. And then, breed those and then start kind of building the collection from there and getting into the higher end stuff, some of the designer stuff. Uh, but you know, I'm taking my time. I, like I tell everybody else, you know, I got the rest of my life to, to breed these things and do what I want. So I'm in no hurry. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, for me, uh, you probably feel the same way. There's just, there's a lot of satisfaction in going about this slow and methodically, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting exactly what you want. Um, and then now that we're actually able to breed them, I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what comes of, you know, um, you know, the, the breeding and the offspring to see what, 
what interesting things come out of those clutches. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, you, you really don't know what you're going to get until right. they, they hit the ground, you and know? Really, my, my pretty much my overall goal is to just have, you know, get more conjures, but have them pay for themselves. Yeah. Essentially, yep. like, I'm fully, I'm all for trading. You know, if I ended up getting whatever hatches from this clutch, again, I plan to hold on to all the babies for a minimum of a year. Whether or not that actually happens or not, we'll see. But at that point, you know, keep what I want to keep, and then whatever else is up for grabs, either sell it or trade it and to get, you know, some new stuff into the mix and just build it from there and, and yep. really take my time. And I think when you go the route that you did, you know, when you're raising the babies and stuff like that and really taking your time with it, it is kind of more rewarding when you finally get to that that position you're in now where you have eggs finally and you're kind of making things happen. You know, it's not just like I bought a pair you know, two months ago, I paired them, I got eggs. Cool. Like anybody can do this. It's <clears throat> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a breeze. Yeah. I wish, <laughs> you know, they, uh, they definitely, uh, um, keep you on your toes. Um, I, I had a few interesting things happen, um, this season with that particular pairing, mm-hmm. uh, mainly in particular, you know, I, I was, um, going through the motions of introducing them, getting populations, and then, um, you know, they would chill out from each other, so I'd separate them, yep. feed them, um, and get them ready for a reintroduction, and and uh, at one point, I thought it might be interesting to take a shed skin from another male that I had in the room, just to see if I could... Get a reaction, um, yeah. Yeah, get yeah. get the male a little more jazzed up, and uh, I, I don't think I'll ever do it again. Um, that triggered a response in him like i had never seen before and he just went absolutely ape shit and um he he bit the uh the female um at least three times and then uh you know this was in a matter of like a half hour after Uh i had reintroduced them and then um i separated him and he was so worked up he was biting himself um, it was the, it was unreal. I, I took some video of it. I'll have to post it up sometime just so people can see that. You know, you need to be really careful. Um, yeah, because I hear and... carpet guys do that all the time, and I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was like, does it ever like amp them up so much that they start just losing it like that? But he, I mean, I he literally turned into a different animal and could not. It took a good twenty four hours to get him to completely calm down. Uh, he was literally biting everything that was. Uh, even remotely a threat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I said, including himself, he would he would go along his body and and like open his mouth up and and kind of put his mouth over his body and then realize, oh wait a minute, I'm biting myself. <laughs> I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy, um, but uh, fortunately, uh, the damage that he did to her was very minimal. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it scared me because I was like, oh boy, you know, I'm I'm right in the middle of this this breeding cycle and. I hope I didn't, you know, ruin things by, um, you know, injuring her and, and causing her not to to go forward with the development. But it yeah. was so far along at that point, I don't think it mattered. Um, mm-hmm. She was going to go regardless. Well, what and, did, uh, did you do any sort of cycling with yours or did you like what, when did you start putting them together, I guess? Is... Yeah, I um, I started in um, right around September, October in that time frame is when I started pairing them up. And um, prior to that, I had fasted her uh, and him um, for, um, 
I don't know, maybe a month and a half, two months, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Um, and then when I started pairing them, um, I started hitting um, her in particular with very frequent small meals. Um, like every three days or so, mm-hmm. I would give her a very small meal. Um, and, you know, she was uh, definitely primed for for eating. You know, she she would go right after it immediately. And so I would, I would feed her a bunch. And then once I feel or felt like, you know, she's got a sufficient amount of, of uh, meals in her, I would, I would do a rain chamber session to uh, clean her out and mm-hmm. make sure that she wasn't, you know, going to have a prolapse or anything because I'm feeding her so heavily. And uh, so I would do that, um, you know, about every two weeks, maybe, maybe three weeks, somewhere in that time frame. Um, and so she would do a rain chamber session, clean out, and then uh, I would feed her again and reintroduce them and just keep re- repeating the whole thing over and over again. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, it went like clockwork really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I, I, I'm after this, I'm definitely a, a very firm believer in the, the food cycling as a very yeah. good method of, of getting these guys to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very happy with the results that I got from doing that. I definitely want to try it with this other female I have. Um, cause I didn't do that with either my, my other, my, the pair I put together, uh, last year, I put the mail in with her in June cause okay. she's in a pretty decent size. She's in a four foot animal plastics cage. That's like, I don't even know the dimensions on it. It's like maybe a four by 18 by 18, maybe. Okay. I don't know. It's pretty decent sized. Uh, so I put him in with her in June and just left them together, and then I'd separate to feed because he's he's a real pain in the ass when it comes to food. I got him to eat yep. a frozen thawed mouse the other day for the first time in like two years, which I thought was a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> other than that, I have to feed him live pretty much every time. <clears throat> so I had to, I'd separate him to feed him and all that stuff and give him a couple of days off, and I put him back in, and he was all over her all the time. He would not leave her yep. alone. Um, but I didn't do anything as far as cycling goes, as far as temperature or food or anything, and I just put him in there and saw you know a bunch of locks but never saw any sort of follicle action and then i had the ovulation which i thought was some follicle development and then she had her shed and then i got eggs so yeah yeah it worked out i guess yeah certainly it seems to me that you know these guys as long as they have met the you know the physical requirements that Uh they they'll probably go yeah at, at any time right um, it's just a matter of how well conditioned I, I think the female is more so than the male. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as long as she has sufficient reserves and feels like she can go through the whole thing without dying, they'll, they'll go. Cause I know, you know, some people, um, you know, that's what they do year round is they just keep reintroducing them together and, yeah. and, uh, allowing them to copulate. And then eventually at some point, you know, uh, it goes the distance. So, um, yeah, that's not a bad strategy at all. I think it's just to just to keep doing it. If you've yeah. got a pair in mind, just keep going at it. That's that's my plan anyway. That's what I was I mean, pretty I, much told was pair them until you get eggs. And yeah, and I, did I mean, I that, I did so. it just to have some predictability around it. Yeah, but yeah, you know, again, this is still I'm 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 guesstimating that I was able to kind of guide the process through that feed cycling, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's hard to say. I obviously would need to do this a bunch more times to. Yeah to have more confidence in it but um, you know it certainly seems like once they've reached an age and and you start hitting them with food plus i you know i i looked at that um 
you know, the Julander Phillip book mm-hmm. and the data that Rico had that they, um, you know, analyzed in there. And, and, uh, when I graphed that out, I realized that, you know, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's really obvious that, um, if you hammer the females with food, um, that'll get them to go. Yeah. It gets and, something, some sort of hormones or something going. Yeah. You know, it definitely, it's a trigger for them. And then the, the only thing I, you know, want to make sure of was that they didn't, you know, uh, build up to a point where they could eventually have a prolapse or something because yeah. you're feeding them so heavily. And I think if people take steps to, to mitigate that, well, we'll do in the feed cycling, it seems like a pretty good method of, of getting a reproductive cycle uh, without the risks of, you know, these temperature drops that could, you know, potentially give an RI, who knows, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe that's all NIDO that people are dealing with. I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I opted on the, the side of, of caution, um, to try and avoid all that stuff if I could. Right. And, uh, it worked, it worked this year anyway. <laughs> Have you dealt with any prolapse in any of yours when they were smaller or anything like that? Is that something you've... I, I had one female, uh, matter of fact, the one that, passed away last year mm-hmm. um prior to that she had a small prolapse event and that was before i started doing any rain chamber sessions at mm-hmm. all um so these these girls would just hold on forever um you know weeks to sometimes a couple months and um and also i i think uh you know i was supplementing with with uv uh, bulbs yep. on these guys and i i still do that um, but I, I had the bulbs on for longer duration and even fluorescent bulbs will throw off a, a fair amount of heat. Um, particularly if they're, they're perched up right near it. And, um, I, I think it was just a little too much heat for too long without going to the bathroom often enough, yeah. um, pushed her into a prolapse event and it was a really minor one. And I did the, the standard uh, sugar, uh, water after an emergency call with, with Gary, mm-hmm. Steve, you know, to, to help guide me through it. Cause I had never gone through that before. Um, and as soon as I, I did that, the prolapse went away, you know, very quickly uh, and never came back. Um, you know, it's not, um, you know, it, it's definitely frightening when you see it. Yeah. And, yeah. And for me, it seemed the the root cause is pretty obvious. I think she just was not getting enough water, mm-hmm. and she was a little too hot. And I think also if they hold on to the you know the the waste for a prolonged period of time, those urates and everything else, just I think they you know I don't know if they adhere to the the sidewalls or what while right. they're in there, but I think they become progressively more difficult <clears throat> to expel. Um, and you know that's one of the primary reasons why I did start doing the rain chamber, um, sessions was to, to mitigate that ever happening again. And also I had a female who started to do, uh, some tail hanging and, um, and I figured, you know, it's gotta be because they're just holding on. It's, it's yeah. uncomfortable and, and not natural. And, and, uh, as soon as I started doing that on a regular basis, those, those issues went away. I haven't had to deal with them since. And how, how often do you do that now with yours? What's that? How often do you do that now with yours, the rain chamber? Yeah, I um, so during the the season where I'm feeding them aggressively, um, you know, I probably get I'm gonna say two to three meals in them, um, you know, and this isn't one where I'm feeding her like every you know three days or so. I'm giving her a really small meal. I'm actually you know these are females that I'm still raising up and 
and um, you know, I'll feed them maybe once or twice in a week mm-hmm. um, during this period. And I'll wait until they've had two or three meals, then I'll do a session. And, um, you know, it works like clockwork. They, they go almost immediately. And um, it's interesting because, you know, I, I've put posts up about this topic. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that um, it's the, the movement that they get while cruising around in the rain mm-hmm. chamber that, that makes them go. But I'll tell you, I, I watch these guys constantly. And, um, you know, I've had these females cruise in their own cages for hours and hours at night yeah, before. Yeah, mine too. Um, and for weeks and weeks, and they still won't Nothing. go. Yep. But as soon as you put water, um, you know, into the equation, uh, it, it's it's a stimulant for them. It just Definitely. It triggers something, and they go. You know. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Because I have that that small little Aru female I have. She's when I since I've gotten her, she's kind of the same way where she'll just hold on to it forever. And yep. now, if I want her to go, and I know she has to, like she's looking pretty fat, I'll literally just just give her a good mist in the cage. And by morning, it's there. Like I don't even have to really yep. chamber her. It just it it just makes it happen. Yep. <clears throat> yep. The other ones, they kind of just like my other female. She just does it whenever. She doesn't really hold on to it too long. But. Yeah, I, I wish mine were more like that. Uh, I think almost every female that I have um, is a holder. She just you know they just don't want to go mm-hmm. um, the way I currently have them set up, and that could be you know um, an indication of of. Um, or one of the pitfalls of the, the husbandry that I'm currently using, you know, I, I do the, um, the like 82 to 83 F ambient temperature in the room. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't spray the cages. Um, I give them fresh water probably every two to three days, I would say. Um, and with that method, the females that I have don't go on a regular basis. Um, She's the only yeah. one that I have to do that with because I don't I don't really miss mine either. If they're going into a shed cycle, I'll I'll miss them regularly until they shed finally, and I'll make sure yep. I'm doing regular water changes. But her, it's just when I when I can tell she's holding, like I'll hit her and then just like clockwork, it's you know it's there yeah. it happens. So she's getting pretty predictable. But the other ones, they just you know they go when they go. That's good. Yeah, it's it's fascinating <clears throat> to me though how that the the water or the rain or whatever. Um, gets them to go it's an interesting thing i don't know if it's like the similar thing that happens with like you know other animals like turtles and tortoises you know i don't know if you've ever seen them where you put them in some water and and they go almost immediately and it it definitely is a signal to them that it's it's okay to go i don't know why well there Um, were a couple theories in mvf when you had originally posted it yep that um one of them was like a scent thing like if prey can smell that they've gone and they know they're there but if there's water to wash it away that maybe that has something to do with it or maybe it's clearing out the system because they know food is now going to be available like there were some there were some serious some some theories that that made sense you know it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if it was really any of them but i know a lot of people have been doing it now that you you had originally posted about it <clears throat> Yeah, it seems to be working for most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't, I haven't really heard of a lot of people saying that it, it wasn't, you know, um, a good approach for them. Um, you know, it, it did make me wonder. You know, like other species that are notorious for holding on for a yeah. really long time, yeah. like like blood pythons and stuff. I'm wondering if it's a similar thing. If people were to try this with blood pythons, even though 
I don't really hear of prolapses happening very often with those guys, mm-hmm. but I, I do wonder if they're just kind of hanging out waiting for, you know, the signal that it's okay to go, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and if you were to try a rain chamber session with those, would you, you know, would you be able to get the same response out of them? I, I would almost bet you would. Well, I've been curious too, because I have a, I have a Western Diamondback, um, and they're very similar in the fact that they are very sedentary, like they don't move much, they hold onto it forever too. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious, and I'm not going to, obviously I'm not going to try a rain chamber with my Western Diamondback, but... I feel like in theory it would be a similar situation because they're, you know, they're sitting weight predators just like green trees are. Yeah. You know, I think it might be, there's probably there's a very similar sort of uh, process behind that with them as there is with those, but blood pythons as well, I'm sure. <clears throat> and the, uh, as far as the prolapse thing goes too, I've, I've, I, one of my babies that I, that I have had one a couple months ago, um, I don't know how long ago that was. That might have been maybe November-ish, but I talked to some people I asked around, and there was, I don't, I do think hydration has a part in it, um, Mm -hmm. but I also think uh, a lack of, like, minerals or any sort of, you know, the, what's the word for it? Not, like, micro doses, but, like, the trace minerals that they need for, for simple sort of body functions. Um, yeah. You know, uh, someone mentioned if they're having prolapse issues that maybe they're losing teeth because they're not getting enough calcium. And so then those key- teeth get sort of balled up into the waste, and that causes things to, like, snag or just cause more friction in terms of it exiting. Um and so it causes issues there. But my thing was, is I was using distilled water for a while. <clears throat> um, and so I had that prolapse. And my theory was, and this is completely anecdotal, but the distilled water, which is literally H2O, like there's no minerals, there's no additives or anything like that. It's like purely just water. There's no, there's nothing else in it. And I think that that caused... Uh, Similar to how the the sugar, when you do a, a the prolapse, when you f- fix that with the sugar, the right. sugar draws out the, the moisture from that tissue and shrinks it. Mm-hmm. I think the distilled water does something similar, but with those trace minerals that they need. Because after I switched from the distilled, after I put the prolapse back in, um, I just used uh, purified water. I didn't use distilled anymore, and I have yet to have an issue since. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a mystery we'll ever solve, but <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure it's a little bit of everything. I think there's you know there's a lot of variables involved. Um, I remember um, uh, the guy's name escapes me, but he used to be the guy who ran the uh, the Bushmaster farm, uh, mm-hmm. doing all the the breeding. Odinchenko, I think, was his last name. But there was an interview with him where he talked about they they figured out that there was a like a vitamin D deficiency uh, in the the breeding females mm-hmm. and I think they were supplementing them and then that would um, affect how the babies were once the you know the eggs were laid and they would hatch I think they saw that the the frequency of the prolapses went down and they were seeing a lot of shed teeth in the uh, you know when they were doing fecal exams yeah and and figured that you know the it was the the, the gravid females that were lacking in some, you know, 
vitamin or mineral. So they started supplementing them mm-hmm. before the eggs were even uh, laid. It's did, an interesting topic. Yeah, I did notice that before my female laid, when she she uh, had her cleanse, um, one in particular had a ton of teeth in it, mm. which I was like, "What's well, a lot?" And I, I'm sure that's a sign of the body using calcium and stuff to make eggs happen. Right. Um, but ever since that prolapse, I then also got a bottle of the uh, supplement that Harlan makes and sells. Um, mm-hmm. so I've been using that ever since and I haven't had any issues. Um, I've been really loading up the mice that I'm feeding her with that just to yeah. kind of help her get stuff back. And I think that'll help make a difference with getting them on track, but I I'll have know. to, uh, hopefully, I'll hopefully have to no more issues. Call. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't, um, I'm not really aware of what he's doing with the supplement. Uh, I'll certainly have to give him a call and see what he's got going on there. It's his um, secret, uh, secret recipe. Yeah, I've been I've been supplementing my animals right from the beginning, um, just because I I just don't believe that lab rodents, um, you know, give them everything that they they need. Definitely. Um, and you know, I started out by raising my own rodents um, for the first couple of years, and I just got tired of the stink. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would actually try and gut load uh, those mice before I euthanized them. Uh, with just you know a hodgepodge of different things, but not lab block. Yeah. And um, and then I move from that to now. What I do is I try uh, various um, powdered meal replacements that Rapashi puts out for mm-hmm. you know all the geckos. Yep. Um, and what I'll do is I'll just dip the rump and the tail of the mouse into those powders. Um, and then I'll feed them to, to whatever animal I'm, I'm trying to feed. I don't do it every meal. I yeah. probably do it every maybe second to third meal. I'll do that. And um, that's what you know, I do. I, with this I stuff. haven't seen a negative from it at all right. in all this time that I've been doing it. I think, you know, if you just go um, slow and don't do it all the time and mm-hmm. all that, you know, you're not going to, I don't think you'll overload them. And, um, you know, I think too that like the babies, I would, I know there's been evidence of them eating insects in the wild. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's some snakes like native snakes, like copperheads and things that go crazy eating mm-hmm. uh, cicadas and stuff. Um, so I, I started using one of the Rapashi meal replacements that, that has a high insect content. Yeah, they have a, they have a handful. They have, well, they have one blend in particular that's made with uh, black soldier fly larva, like ground up. Yeah, that's and, what I'm using. Yeah. yeah. The red, red label there's, stuff. Yep, yep. Yep. I'm using uh, one with the soldier fly and I think it, it was one of their special edition ones where they had mulberry or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. I and, never got um, that one. yeah so I, I, I've been supplementing my animals <clears throat> with that too. Um, just to, to see if I have all the bases covered and, um, whether it makes a difference or not, who knows? I'm sure um, it helps out to some degree, even if it's not probably, anything right? major, you know, it's, it's yeah. still replenishing whatever minerals they may not, you know, or supplements, whatever they may not be getting in the first place. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I haven't noticed any negatives from doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody, everybody's, you know, goes and eats and sheds and does everything the way they're supposed to. And, and, um, so I'm, you know, I'm going to continue doing it. Yeah. I don't, I don't supplement with Harlan stuff every feeding either. Cause you have to thaw it out. Like I keep it in the freezer. Um, Oh, okay. And so 
you know, to thaw it out and then to freeze it again, to thaw it out and freeze it again, thaw it out, freeze it again, all that stuff is, is probably not good for the shelf life of it. So I, I'm the same way. I do it maybe every other, every third feeding or so. Yep. Yep. It's been working out. It's like a, I want to say like a 12 ounce bottle, maybe. And I think it's like 30 bucks. And I don't even think he charges shipping. I don't know. You'll have to hit him up though. Oh, okay. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's got probiotics in it and some other stuff i think maybe some calcium i don't know i forget exactly what he told yeah. me he, he didn't give me all the ingredients but he he told me some of it <clears throat> yeah yeah i'll have to i'll have to definitely give him a ring and uh see if i can get some more information on it that's interesting yeah and then i just i take a syringe and i just inject it right into the like the chest cavity oh, okay so. yep yep it's pretty effective it works yeah I give it to the babies. That's the nice thing about it too, is you don't have to worry about like they can't, you can't overdo it with it. Mm-hmm. And so you know whether it's pinkies or fuzzies or hoppers or adults or anything, I can you know I can really load it up and send it home. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's interesting. I um, you know, I'm definitely trying to you know, uh, trying to just look at things a little bit different. I guess I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the right way to say it or not, but. Um, you know, in more recent years, like, uh, like Daniel Natouche, the research that he was doing and stuff showed that, you know, the, the babies or the neonates are spending a good portion of their time right on the the broken edge of the forest where there's sunlight and and everything else. So, you know, I've been trying to expose the babies to some UV, um, light and, and also just give them some, uh, periodic supplement with, um, you know, the Rapashi stuff. And uh, with the hopes that that, you know, allows them to to get more than what they were getting before. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, hopefully that translates into a, a healthier adult. Um, again, who knows? Um, certainly isn't hurting by the looks of it anyway. Yeah. Do you notice a difference at all with UV in any any aspect of it? Um, not not anything that's like extremely obvious. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll notice that they will they seem to actively bask under the UV lamp periodically. Um, and, um, I, you know, I'll caution people though, if they're looking to do UV, um, you gotta be really careful with it because you can, um, you know, you can burn them with those UV bulbs. Uh, there's, there's plenty of examples of pictures of those condors on the web where you've got these patches of this sky blue, uh, which looks really cool, but then you realize that that's all a result from, uh, being burned by UV radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I definitely wanted to avoid if I could. Um, so I, I have the UV bulbs on only for about two hours midday. Um, they come on. And which ones do you use? Like do you, I, I use the ZooMed. They come um, in different strengths, right? They do, yeah. Um, I've had the, what is it, the 5.0 and 10.0 bulbs that I've used, but you know, they, they're on for such a short duration of yeah. time. I, I haven't seen any of the UV burning, uh, that other people have had. Um, so I feel like I'm probably at a safe level with these guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my whole thought on that is, um, in the wild, they're definitely getting exposure to UV. I, I know they're in, you know, in the jungle under the canopy, but, um, you know, there's some UV radiation that's getting to them. Oh, absolutely. And, 
you know, and I, I think it's probably beneficial that they get at least some. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I try and do is just give them a little bit. Uh, and, you know, so far everything's been good. You know, I, I um, haven't noticed any uh, negative effects from it uh, the way that I'm doing it. So I'm, I'm going to continue doing it until I see something different. Yeah, I need to repost that paper too. I was reading some of the, I was on, uh, who was it? I think I was on Buddy's website, not uh, like last week, and he has a little section with a bunch of different papers that were posted by uh, Natush and Lyons, and one of them was that that paper in particular on babies and the ontogenetic ontogenetic change, not just in color but in behavior and habitat, and basically their entire lifestyle, you know, shifts with their with their color, and I don't think a lot of people right. realize that, you know, they're the the habitat they occupy as babies is completely different from the habitat they occupy as adults and you know yep. as they transition onto a you know completely different diet they're moving more into the actual forests and less on the outskirts and it's pretty interesting i need to i need to hunt them down and share them because they were really good uh and they also talked about i think one of the reasons biox are so so much easier to get started on mice at a younger age after reading this paper is uh <clears throat> My voice. I'm losing my voice. I need to get some water in a minute. But, um, Biox, there's some weird correlation between there's a point in life where their head gets like wider, if I'm not mistaken. And so with Biox, they experience that that change earlier at a much smaller size compared to other localities. And so they're oh, switching to that rodent diet at an earlier age. So I think that might be a reason why Biox are so much easier for people to get started on mice when they're neonates um, compared to, you know, everything else. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Reading that kind of stuff really gets you, really gets you thinking, (laughs) you know? Oh, it really does. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I would give anything to go uh, to like Papua New Guinea or Indonesia and just spend months there uh, trying to watch these guys in the field. I would love to do something like that. Yeah. Be nice. I've heard it's a little sketchy in some spots. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you know, then you get people that go over there and they do it, and it seems like it's no big deal. Yeah. I know Dan Malari, you know, goes over there. Ari's been over there a bunch of times, and you know, I think it's doable. It's just a matter of you know, how much of an adventure do you want to go on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you what, know? what level of Indiana Jones do you want to experience? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, I would be that would be awesome though. I would, yeah, God, that'd I would be love really to cool. Do that. I know Jake. You know, we'd love to go there because Jake and his pop one fetish and stuff. You know, we'd yeah, that'd be a cool trip. Yeah, we should all go as a group. Safety in numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But getting into the S3D stuff. So how did this is something I've been actually wanting to talk to you about this. So I saved it sure. for the podcast. But how exactly did you come up with the concept for the the stuff you're producing like how did that all start oh yeah um well first i i, I got the the printers um or the first printer just because i was i was fascinated by the whole process mm-hmm. and um you know my son who's 13 right now at the time also you know was really interested in it so we thought we would get one um and you know play around see what we can we can do and I was really trying to see if I can foster his uh, interest in those kind of things and um, I got it and we, we played around with it for a while and and um, and then the the 
you know, the printer sat dormant for a few months. Um, and then it was not long after that, that, you know, I, I was starting to, to work on building my collection more and transitioning from, you know, six quart cages into uh, larger adult cages mm-hmm. and realized that, you know, I needed something to hold the perches and I, I didn't want to use closet rod yeah. hangers because yeah. they, you know, they, they look big and, and they only come in white and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I really wanted to put the cages together so that everything looked like it belonged together mm-hmm. um, and color coordinated and that sort of thing. So um, I, you know, quickly realized that, you know, I've got this amazing tool at my disposal that I could probably create something to, to do that job. And so that's where it started. I just started making the, the perch holders for half inch PVC pipe. And, um, once I started making some for myself, I, I, I really liked how well it worked and figured other people would probably would like to have access to those things. So I, I started offering them up on Facebook and it's taken off from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of wild. Now, was there a was there a good bit of like you have an engineering background or something that kind of made this somewhat easier? Because I can only imagine try to figure out exactly you know I don't know how the programs that go with these printers work or anything like that. But yeah, it was it was a little daunting. <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a product development engineer. That's my my profession. Oh okay. Um, but it's in a completely unrelated industry, mm-hmm. and it, for me, really, it was just the curiosity. Um, as long as you're you're curious and, and, you know, if it's reptile or snake related, it just fuels the fire. And, um, you know, we, we got the printer, but you know, the printer is just one aspect of it. You have to, um, you have to learn the design software to actually create mm-hmm. the object that you you're looking to make. And then there's another piece of software where you take that design creation and you have to come up with all the, the parameters to be able to successfully print it. And so it's, it can be a somewhat complicated process and it's one that, um, you know, requires tweaking on a fairly regular basis. And, and that just comes with time and experience doing it. Um, but then, you know, once you get over those hurdles, it, it really wasn't that bad. And, um, you know, um, at that, you know, at that point I just started trying to think of, you know, other things that I would like to have, yeah. um, that could potentially help with the husbandry of these guys. So I start coming up with all these other items that I have available. Cause I um, just, uh, yeah, I've gotten a handful of things from you and, uh, mm-hmm. every time I'm like, how do you, f- like, how exactly do you figure out that the little latches on the Draco portal need to be exactly this size, you know, with the perch holders, <laughs> like knowing that these pegs are going to be the exact same distance apart every time. Like, and just, I'm trying to like, I'm also, I'm, I'm absolutely horrible at math and building pretty much anything. Yeah. So to yeah. me, it's like wrapping my head around how you got it to fit, you know, a half inch PVC pipe perfectly is like, that's a big deal to me. Yeah, it's not as bad as you might think. Um, You know, once you once you realize how everything works, um, it just it's almost it becomes like a second language, you Mm -hmm. know, and and you just know how things function, you know, what offsets to use, um, that sort of thing. Um, And then, you know, like the Draco portal, um, that design that you you have and that you see that took a while to develop, you know. Um, I went through probably a half dozen different design concepts for that until I settled on to that one. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a balance between, um, you want something that, you know, you want it to look good. You want it to, um, not take, you know, a week to print. Um, and you want it to, um, assemble relatively easily. Uh, and you also want it to not consume a ton of material, which also drives up the cost. Definitely. Um, and then, you know, once you, you kind of get those things in mind and dialed in, you know, you just start, you know, I, I would, I printed at least a half dozen different prototypes over several months coming up with that design that I currently have available. Um, and, you know, originally I tried to do it all on like one piece and, and there's just things that you figure out that you can't do with the printer. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not something that can do everything. You definitely have to plan, um, you know, how you want to construct things just because of the way the printer, uh, makes the objects. Um, and you know, once you get those things figured out, um, it's not that bad. It, I mean, you, you'll want to pull your hair out every once in a while. Cause, um, for me, at least the designing part is probably the most enjoyable. Mm-hmm. The, the least enjoyable aspect of it is maintaining the equipment. So, um, I have, I have five printers at the moment and, um, they all have, you know, they're all like individuals. They all have their own little idiosyncrasies (laughs) and, and, you know, and, um, (laughs) and there are things that, uh, these printers do over time that you have to, you have to mitigate. Um, you know, they're, they're feeding in the, the, the printing filament comes on a spool Mm -hmm. And it, it feeds into the, it's called the hot end uh, in the printer where it, it melts that plastic right. to a molten state so you can extrude it through this very small nozzle. And, um, you know, uh, after a while, you know, sometimes you get contaminants and things that just build up mm-hmm. in that hot end and you end up getting clogs or you get under extrusion. You know, there's just, it, you know, belts wear out and bearings wear out and nozzles wear out and all of those things require, you know, going in and, and disassembling the machine and, and swapping out new parts. And it's all stuff you had to learn on the fly. Um, that can get really aggravating. Um, but you know, when everything's running, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty cool. It's, it's fun to see it happen. Um, you know, I can go from a design concept to, a physical object in your hand, you know, depending on what it is, you know, within a few hours to a day, mm-hmm. which is, which is crazy, you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's the coolest thing about the entire, you know, what you do period is just the fact that you're taking a, you know, I say it's a new technology. It's really not that new, <clears throat> I guess in the grand scheme it is, but taking something like that and applying it to the hobby for the betterment of it to me is like the coolest thing you can do. You know, it's, 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 I like that. And I wish more people would do that. And I mean, granted, we're kind of limited in what technology can be used in the hobby, but yeah, like seeing what you do and seeing what you're producing and how you're always coming up with new stuff. And you're so open to ideas from other people as far as like, okay, you know, Condro guys are saying they need this for, you know, this size tub, or this is what, this is the tub people are using now. Like, and then you kind of taking that and running with it, you know, it's just, it's so neat that you're, you're able to do that. And sort of bridge that gap, I guess, is the is the term for it. But oh, thanks. Yeah, now it's <laughs> you know it's definitely a labor of love. Uh, I you know 
combining the the hobbies together is really kind of cool to be able to do that and it's really perfectly suited you know for this too just because it's a niche that you know big name companies aren't going to go and definitely and spend hours and hours you know figuring out that um you know Hey, what if we come up with this, you know, X-shaped perch adapter that, because <laughs> chondros really love perching on very narrow things, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and it's just nice to be able to to watch my own animals and, and come up with ideas based on what I'm seeing there and, and test them out and put them to use. But at the same and, time, uh, it's such a, it's like just the dragonfly perches alone. Like that's such a simple idea. That you would think that they would have at some point kind of caught on and been like, well, we could have thought of that. But yeah, I know people use them for more than just chondros. You know, I know Jacob uses the tub perches that you have, uh, the ones with the legs. Um, I'm using one of those right now with one of my chondros. I sent you that picture uh, yeah. like two weeks ago. That's working out really well. Um, you know, I know Riley uh, out in California. He's using them yep. for his Amazons. Like people are using them for all kinds of stuff. And it's, yeah, I love to see yeah. it. Yeah, I've had um, people with Bolins use them, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's just awesome. That's one of the things I really love about this, is being able to you know after a while, as more of these things get out there, and you're on Facebook, you just see them, you know pictures popping up here and there. It's like, oh yeah, that's one of my things that I made, and you know it's some really interesting animals that people are are using them for. So that's that's really cool when that happens. I love that. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, that I was, especially with the Draco portal, and I mean, every product that I've gotten from you so far, is the build quality's really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, especially the Draco portal. Like, that thing is solid. When I put that on the tub, or when I got that in the mail and I took it out, I was like, man, this thing is, like, this thing ain't breaking. This thing ain't going, and, like, no. the glass will break before the frame does. Yeah. Uh, it looks really sharp. Like, I, I love the fact that you're able to take, a, you know, just a tub. And, you know, put that little sliding glass door on it. And then if you wanted to add a light to that tub somehow or another, you could. Like, they just, they look really good. Yeah. And yeah. I really Thank like you. them. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I like them, too. <laughs> they, um, I, I love using tubs uh, over anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, every enclosure that I have is, is some bastardized form of a tub <laughs> um, for my animals. And um, I just think that, you know, economically, you can't beat it. Um, you know, you can get them dirt cheap and they, um, for cleaning, they're super easy because typically all the corners are rounded, Mm -hmm. um, and you don't have to seal anything up with silicone. And, um, you know, uh, it's definitely a very economical way of, of housing these and, and have it still look good. Um, you know, um, one of the things that I, I'm thinking of doing is just upsizing uh, some of the enclosures that I have for my females and, um, and getting much larger tubs and then putting the, the Draco portal on the, um, you know, on the end instead of like the front of mm-hmm. the tub and, you know, having them stick out that way. And, uh, and I, I find that they're, they're more than enough for uh, routine maintenance. Definitely. Um, you know, I don't typically hold my chondros at all. Mm-hmm. I, I, my philosophy is that they're there to look at, not really to play with. Yeah. And um, so my, my physical interaction with them is very minimal. And, 
so just having access into the tub to swap the water bowls out on a regular basis and to feed. Yeah, it does the job. Um, it's everything you need. Yeah, it's more than adequate. And then mm-hmm. if you need to do anything more than that, then you know you just take the tub down and take the tub lid lid mm-hmm. off and and remove the animal on the perch and then do everything else that you need to do. So, it, uh, it, you know, for me, um, it it's a it's an ideal solution and also allows me to to use a tub that costs you know fifteen or twenty dollars. Um, whereas a, an equivalent size PVC enclosure would be several hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely a much better way of, of kitting out the room, um, without breaking the bank um, and still have it look, you know, somewhat decent. Yeah. Cause you do the Draco portals, which you can put on it on the tubs, which I'm sure some people mm. have seen on Facebook. And then you have like Cambro tub conversion kits, right? I do, yeah. I've been playing around with that idea for for a while, um, trying to dial them in. Before I even did the 3D printing, I was doing a DIY cage kit. Yeah, um, I remember that offering. Yeah, yeah. And that, while they worked great, they were a pain in the butt for me to make, which mm-hmm. is why I stopped doing it. And um, since then, I've I've come up with another method of of putting those together, and. I did the Cambro one only just because when, when I was doing the frame kit, I would have people contact me all the time about all these other different odd shaped boxes that they would want to, to put a frame on. And it just was becoming impossible uh, to be able to, uh, you know, manufacture these things yeah, to speci- the degree where they need to fit. Stuff, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I settled on the Cambro because they're a standardized tub, and I knew I could I could create a, a frame that would fit on them, and I have jigs where I can cut everything to the exact size they need to be, and and you know ship them out and not worry about it. But I've I've since come up with another way of creating these frames where, um, rather than me targeting a specific tub like a Cambro, um, I'm gonna be offering the um, frame pieces in like I don't know like a standard length let's say um, like 23 inches Mm -hmm. and you can buy it in like 23 inch segments with the glass track installed and then I've 3d printed uh, corner brackets that tie everything together and then if you have a tub that the dimensions are longer than that where you need to join them in the middle I've got a joiner where you can you know combine them uh, to get the extra length that you need. Um, and then the whole thought is I, I, I haven't really, um, put it out on my site yet for people to buy, but the thought is that, uh, I want to encourage people to be more of a, more in line with like a DIY yeah. philosophy where, you know, if you have access to a simple, you know, miter saw or whatever, uh, and a tape measure, um, you can cut these things and put them together. They're super easy. Um, and, that will open it up to, you know, a, a lot of different boxes mm-hmm. instead of just the Cambro. Um, the Cambros are really nice, but they're they're pricey they're as far as a, a box goes. Because I, I, you know? I see the Cambro tubs that people use with, you know, a similar conversion kit like you have, and I'm like, man, those look really good. And then I'm like, I'm going to go get some Cambros, and then I look at the price, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I can't. Yeah, yeah. They're like I can't justify doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of hard to drill, right? Like, they're pretty brittle. Yeah, they they can be tricky to drill. Um, 
you know, if you put a piece of tape over it before you drill and you have a nice sharp bit, you shouldn't have a problem. But mm-hmm. people have, you know, you, you can crack it if you're not careful. Um, you know, whereas, you know, these kits that I'm looking to put on now, you can use any, you know, uh, polypropylene tub um, that has an appropriately shaped opening at the top mm-hmm. and put a frame kit on it. Um, and then you would just have to source glass uh, at your local glass shop. Um, I know a lot of people, I think they're kind of disappointed that I'm, I don't offer the glass along with it. But uh, I, I do that just because I think it'll be cheaper for everybody if they yeah. just get it glass locally. Glass isn't versus, You know? It's cheap. And Yeah. And, and also the risk of, of glass breaking during shipment yeah. is really high. Yeah. And the, the Draco portals, I do it because the glass is fairly inexpensive. And I've... I think I've gotten to the point where I can pack them well enough where I don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood, that's been the case. So um, I, I don't mind doing it for those. And it's also because I know exactly what size the glass needs to be. So I, you know, right, I, right. I cut when the glass here. Ten different people using I, ten different kind of tubs. You know, you can't exactly, exactly go and exactly. Get glass cut yep. realistically for every single one of them. Yeah. So I, you know, uh, I do it for the Draco portals, but I won't be for these other kits. But, you know, if you just take a little bit of time and, and look up your go- local glass shop, I think you'll find that um, I'd much rather you go spend the money there than, than pay me mm-hmm. extra to cut glass for you and then risk having it getting broken during shipment. Right. You know, it's just a nightmare. Now, as far as the, like, the perch holders and stuff, like, how long does it mm-hmm. take those machines to crank those out? That's the one real downfall of, of 3D printing. It's not a quick process. Um, you know, I the only the one real benefit is that I, I can do a bunch of them at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can print, you know, um, depending on what size they are, but I can do, you know, a dozen perch holders at once. And it'll take a good part of the day to get that done. But... Um, you know, for me, the, the whole business model is that I do the work up front where I come up with the, the designs and, um, you know, get them available on my site. And then the thought is that I can, I can queue them up to run and, you know, let the, the, the printer slash robot do all the work. And so I can, I can queue them up and go. And even though it's taking hours for them to complete, I don't physically have to be there, yeah. uh, you know, dealing with it. So it works. Um, and you know, with the, with the volume and the amount of people that are buying from me now, I, I definitely had to scale up how many printers that I have in order to keep up. Um, cause it is, you know, it's a slow process, but if you've got a bunch of them working on it at the same time, uh, I can crank things out fairly quickly now, um, uh, versus when I, when I first got started. And you don't do all of them like made to order, right? Like you actually, I do. Oh, actually. you do? Wow. Yeah, I don't carry any any inventory. I do everything, um, you know, build to order. Hmm. And did you have did you when you first started doing it? You know, as far as selling to to the community, did you expect it to take off as as much as it did? No, and I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Um, you know, every day, you know, it's it's an amazing thing, and I, I, I'm really thankful that it's caught on as well as it has. Um, 
but it's such a quirky little niche thing. I had, I had no idea that um, that many people uh, were interested in, in using these things, but you know, I'm really glad they have. Um, and then, you know, every, <laughs> I'm still waiting for it to just kind of peter out, but it seems to be going in the opposite yeah, direction. Yeah, I don't so see it's, that it's happening. It's a really good thing. Yeah. Well, you've made it easy for people. Like, you've cut out all the guesswork of, okay, I want to perch for this tub. I don't know how to, you know, what I'll do to make it fit. It's literally, like, you've, you've, you've nailed it with, okay, this is the tub I'm using. Okay, this is the perch that's for it. You know, add to cart, check out. Yep. And yep. that's kind of the beauty of it is there's, there's, you don't have to worry about it not fitting. Like it's there, it's ready to go, you know, out of the box, into the tub. Boom. Yeah, it definitely works. <clears throat> Cause I, I've, like I said, I've got a handful of things from you. Uh, Dragonfly perches, Draco portal, magnetic perch holders, which I love cause those magnets are stupid strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, those things are lethal. <laughs> yeah. I almost lost a finger to one when I yep. first got the box in. I was like, Oh, these are pretty legit looking magnets and then i yeah those are a funny item they're they're almost like a sleeper item uh i don't know if people don't realize that they're available or what um but harlan's been a big proponent of yeah them. and yeah you know, i've sold a smattering of them but um and you know i use them myself too mm-hmm. and i i just they haven't really caught on as well as some of the other things that i've, I've come up with and I, I really don't know why um, cause I've, I've got the ones that you have, and then I've got another version where you can use them on like exoterra, uh, type enclosures. Yeah. Um, and they'll even work on a PVC enclosure too. Are those the, um, they just don't have the little, uh, like pegs. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. what I did is I came up with a, a friction pad that does the job of those pegs. Um, so you don't have to drill any holes at all, mm-hmm. um, into your tub or enclosure. Um, you know, the only difference is I don't supply the magnets on those. You have to order them off of Amazon prime, but I, oh, okay. you know, I show which ones you need to get. Yeah. And you want to talk about magnets that are strong. Those like, things are, yeah, they're like, I insane. To, anytime I have those ones I got from you out, like on the table, I'm like super paranoid of where I put my phone. Cause I'm like, if I put my phone anywhere near these things, it's probably going to fry it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, those things I, are uh, <laughs> it's nuts. I, uh, it's, it's kind of funny because when I, when I was first developing, um, so the ones that you have, uh, Harlan and I talked a lot about, uh, coming up with that design mm-hmm. and we settled on that one. Um, and then I had John Battaglia, um, contact me about coming up with a, a magnetic perch holder that would work on, on glass. Mm-hmm. And of course the ones with the pegs won't, won't work in that. Yeah. So I had to, I had to come up with a design that, uh, will hold an, the animal keep the perch from rotating and, and not slide down the glass. And, um, he had, or has a, um, a giant, um, uh, female chondro that's like 2000 plus grams, like good a really God. big one. And that's the one that he wanted to use these on. So it was a good, um, test vehicle for coming up with a, with a design that works. Mm-hmm. And, um, so anyway, we, you know, I came up with this design and it uses these ridiculous cube magnets on the outside of the enclosure and, um, and these really like beefed up versions of the disc magnets that are in the ones that you have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, anyway, he, you know, he got some of the initial prototypes and, and, uh, he was, you know, had some family members, I think in the room with him, and, and he set them on the table 
and the i think it was the two cube magnets these are like one inch cube magnets the they're like n52 neodymium which is like the strongest ones you can get and they attracted each other and from across the table and and smashed together and he said you wouldn't believe it when they hit sparks flew (laughs) so you gotta and he wasn't joking either he's like literally you know sparks flew off these things when they collided and they they exploded at that point into a bunch of you know a million different pieces so um you know if anybody gets these you definitely have to be super careful uh with these magnets because they got to be strong enough to right to hold the animals up without you know risking them falling but i'd rather them be too strong than not strong enough Yep. Yeah. Ones I got, like I put a substantial amount of weight on that perch when I put it in the tub. And granted, it has the pegs that go into the actual plastic, but right, that thing was going nowhere, and I was sold. Those things are great. Any animal that I'm gonna have in tubs, I'm gonna be using those because they're just they're 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 awesome. Like I said, the build quality is awesome. Um, they're sturdy. Uh, the fact that they're removable is you know is really nice too. Like you don't have to unscrew things or anything like that. And yeah. <clears throat> I love them. I love it all. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I like them too. They're great for you know when you really want to get the tub clean and you want to break everything down. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to deal with any screws or nuts or anything, and you just pull everything apart and clean it. And you were working on a like a, a similar perch system for like neonates, right? How's that? Yeah, I, I'm still working on that. Um, I, um, you know, the first round. I was using these small disc magnets, which if you're using like a Sterilite tub, mm-hmm. they work because yeah, Sterilites have like this little built-in lip that goes around the tub around yep. midway. And the perch itself would actually rest on that and the magnet would, would kind of keep everything there. Mm-hmm. So it would work just fine uh, for that. But I've had other people contact me when I put that post up saying they're they're really interested in it too. But um you know their tubs don't have that lip so i had to i had to kind of look and see what's out there um that would work and i i have found these little like three quarter inch square magnets um they're a little flat they're like an eighth inch thick that seem to have more than enough strength to be able to do this job so i just need to go back and and kind of redesign you know the the holder for the magnets and the way i'm looking at this is that you'd have like a little holder on the side of the tub that would replace what people use like those little coaxial uh, zip tie things so these little holders would replace that and then you could have either single perches that span across the width of the tub that will rest in these um and not rotate and what this would also allow us to do too is um, I really like using very thin branches for these guys because yeah. I think that's what they want. And um, you know, closet rod hangers are, are good, but they're still you know when you're dealing with a neonate, they're in, still yeah, in ratio to their size, they're still pretty thick, right? And so with these, I can actually create a you know a diameter on the perch that is like you know, that has like a, a two millimeter radius. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can get really small. Um, and then also in addition to like a single perch, what I'm thinking of doing is coming up with kind of like the standalone perch idea, 
except these wouldn't have any legs and they would just rest in the cradle of these, these magnets mm-hmm. um, so that you can, you can have it like that too, if you want something that spans across the tub. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm still working on it. Um, and I'll, I'll definitely have something out there once I, I get the time and the opportunity to, to go back to it and kind of hone it in a little more. Well, I was busy kind of, you know, when I, when I knew I was getting eggs, I started, the gear started turning and I was like, man, like making sure I have all these, the, the 3M pad things that everyone uses right now for neonates. Cause I do one long perch that goes the length of the tub. Yep. Um, and so I was like, man, having to do, you know, uh, how many would I need to be doing? Almost 40. Uh, you know, two per tub. I got hopefully 17 babies hatching. We'll see. I, I doubt it'll be all of them. But anyways, I was like, man, if David just made something that was like, just like the regular magnetic perches where it's just drop them in and go, that would be so much better than having to cut coat hangers, place the pads right, make sure they're in the same spot, make sure they're even, and then do yeah. all that. And so that's when I messaged you. I was like, man, are you going to be doing anything like that soon? And sure enough, you were like, I'm working on it. <clears throat> yeah yeah i need to get back to it for sure i i like the idea once i started tinkering with it um it seems pretty cool mm-hmm. the the one thing i didn't like or don't like about the the little um stick on zip tie things is um that adhesive is crazy strong um that those things use and i i don't know if anybody's ever had an issue with an animal kind of getting adhered to one of those things but it's always been my concern if any of that adhesive is is accessible and um and also the foam that it uses you know you can't really clean it very well right um so that's why you know i I do like the idea of of having something like the magnetic perches where you can move them and and take them out completely to do a very thorough cleaning and then you also don't have any adhesives in in the enclosure that Mm -hmm. you might need to be concerned about yeah well we'll see how many uh how many eggs did you get your from your female 13. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you're planning for probably about the same amount that I will be. Um, What's you, that? I said you're you're planning for probably around the same amount that I'll be planning for, you know, in a couple of weeks. Yep, yep. Are you going to keep yours? Are you going to have a rack system ready to go? No, I'm not doing a rack. Um, I, uh, you know, I've got that dedicated room with the ambient heat, mm-hmm. and so... Um, I say this only because I, I don't have a rack ready. I, I probably would use one if I had it. Um, just the whole idea of being able to slide the tubs out for feeding mm-hmm. um, and then slide them back in so that they feel secure, I think is probably going to be you know a real advantage. And I, I don't currently have that right now. So I'm, I'm going to have to come up with something uh, that approximates that here in pretty short order i think my tentative due date on these guys is uh march 29th so i i got a little bit of time yeah um but you know i think security with those babies is key and that's mm-hmm. something that i need to i need to figure out between now and then and what was the the male to that female was that is dark horse a male or is he is that a female that's a female okay okay yep i um She'll be, uh, I'll be trying to breed her this upcoming season, um, see if I can get something going. Um, the male that was bred to, to the female that laid this year, um, he is uh, a Prada Manaquari and, um, and a Cyclops mix. 
Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he, he's an attractive-looking uh, snake as well. Um, and then the female was a Prada Manaquari and a Vinsky animal. Um, and I, I think Rico and Gary uh, collaborated on, on both of those, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so this clutch has Prada Manaquari coming from both sides and then um, some northern, um, you know, Azuria blood of different mm-hmm. types on, on both sides coming together. So, um, you know, knock on wood, uh, hopefully everything hatches and does well because I, I think they're going to be some attractive looking animals. Well, what's the ratio of your entire group? Like how many males and how many females do you have? Yeah, I have um, three <clears throat> adult males and I have um, four adult females currently. Um, and then I've got a bunch of babies that I'm, I'm raising up too. I have no idea what they are yet. And do you, when you when yours kind of get of age, or do you like do you probe yours, or do you just wait for them to shed out? Yeah, I haven't probed any of them. Uh, I I watch their their habits because males and females, at least in in my collection so far, have been very easy to to kind of sort out just based on how they they react to things. Mainly, like um, you know, the females won't go to the bathroom very often. Right. Um, they're a lot more sedentary. Um, plus just the, like the body mass on the females, um, is, is greater than on the males. Um, and then also, uh, I look for the, um, you know, at the sheds to see what's going on there. And I use all of those things combined to kind of make an assessment as to what's what. And, and, um, you know, it's worked out fine. Everything that I thought was a male has shed very definitive, you know, sperm, uh, you know, they're not really sperm plugs, but you right, know what I mean. right, it, yeah. And um, so, I I'm a little nervous with with people, you know, probing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot more damage that can be it's done. So than easy realize. to screw them up, man. You know, I'm not comfortable doing it on anything, nope. honestly. And yeah. Hopefully, when Ben gets this uh, this genetic testing thing locked down with pythons, man, that'll be a game changer just for the chondro guys. Yeah, no doubt. That's gonna no be a doubt. big deal. Yep, and I, I think he's relatively <clears throat> close too. Uh, yeah, he's getting. What there. I understand, he's he's not far out. And I think he can do it now if you have you know all the lineage at your right. disposal. Right. Yeah, you have to you have know? like the, the a shed from like the sire and like a sibling or something. I think. Yep. I, it's yeah, it's something strange, but. What's the uh, speaking of, of plugs? What's the earliest you've seen your male shed shed those? Oh, that's a good question. Um, if you, off the top of your head, if you know, yeah, I, I don't know exactly, but I, I want to say uh, probably after like the first year and a half, two years. Okay, because I've got a Bioc that's a that's a juvie. Um, that's probably around the two-year mark, and I haven't seen any plugs yet, and so I keep checking every shed because I'm like, at some point, if it's a male, it's got to give me plugs. Yep. But this one, I'm actually, the more it sheds, the more I'm starting to think it's actually probably going to be a female because I have yet to see any conclusive evidence. And I'm always curious. I'm always asking people, like, when you start looking for plugs, you know, what's the earliest you've seen them pop up? That way, we can, you know, I want to kind of know what a time frame is to where I can actually start checking you know on a regular basis 
And uh, <clears throat> like I said, this one hasn't given me any yet, and I, I'm pretty sure it's at a size to where if it were a male, I probably would get some. Yeah. But haven't yet, so I'm thinking this one's yeah. a girl. Yeah. How about everything else with her? I mean, she does it act like a female? Um. Yeah, it, it at night it cruises a little bit, but not you know not like the the my adult male does where he's kind of right. everywhere. This one's just more of a looking for food all the time kind of thing. But we'll see. I'm in no rush. You know, I'm completely okay with sitting on them until I, you know, get a shed that tells me one way or the other. That's how I felt too. I, I just figured <clears throat> I'm, this is a long game, and definitely, you know, I I'm I'm in no rush, <laughs> and um, you know, I would rather not risk damaging anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people do it successfully, but I you know I I've, I've witnessed where people you know have been too aggressive, not specifically with chondros, but with other with other snakes, and um, you know they they managed to pierce you know through the um, you know the the cavity that a, that mm-hmm. females will have there too, and mistakenly think it's a male, and, oh. and you know I let alone what somebody could potentially do to the the hemipenes if they're too aggressive with it. Mm-hmm. So I just figured, you know what, it's not worth it to me. I, I would rather just wait it out and, and see. And um, you know, I think when you, people get more experience with these guys and and see how different the males and the females are from each other in terms of their behaviors and, and body shape and then also the, the sheds, I think you can, you can sex them with a, a really high level of confidence yeah. Um, yeah. at that point. That, that's how I feel anyway. Well, my thing is like if they're young and they're not anywhere near breeding age yet, like I'm in no hurry to find out if it's a male or a female. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. I have chondras because I love chondras. Yeah. You know, it's not yep. like, it's not like other, you know, maybe carpets or something or balls or whatever, where it's like, I really need to know as soon as possible so I can determine whether or not I'm going to hold on to or not. Like I'm going to hold on to it regardless. Right. So yeah, if it's a male, I'll keep it. If it's a female, I'll keep it, you know, whatever. Yep. I'm in no rush. And it's so nice not really having to worry about it like that. <clears throat> I can just have them and enjoy, enjoy having them. them and yep. How um how are your eggs looking after they laid everything looking good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had my. It's funny. I had this incubator. I got this incubator set up and going back in like June. Like when I paired them, I started getting things ready. I had the incubator going. I had it dialed in. I had it rocking and rolling. And of course, Jake had a clutch of pop one eggs drop, and he didn't have his incubator ready. So he's like, "I need to keep them at your place." So I said, "Okay, cool." So we put them in there, incubator was fine still, no problem. I got my clutch, put it in there, and then the incubator started playing games. <clears throat> where, and I'm sure Brian Fisher and Justin Wilbanks are probably really annoyed with me, bugging them with questions <laughs> constantly. But So I have I, I bought a indoor-outdoor thermometer that has a probe that I was going to put in the nest box with the female because I was going to let her stay in there, and then I was just going to keep notes of what the temperature was doing on a daily basis. <clears throat> yeah. And... I had that sitting on top of her cage because obviously I wasn't going to use it anymore because she wasn't sticking with them. <clears throat> so I put it in the egg box. I had the incubator set at uh, 87.5. I put that thermometer in there, the probe, and it agreed with that. It said the same thing. So I was like, okay, cool. But then I would temp gun them, and the temp gun would read like uh, like 88.6 or like 89.3. Okay. 
So I was like, well, what the hell? I was like, what's, you know, is my temp gun off? Is, you know, both the thermostat and the, the thermometer on the fritz, whatever. And so I started kind of freaking out. Long story short, I stole the analog thermometer from the beer cooler at work. <laughs> yeah. And I put it in the egg box. <laughs> and uh, it, it agreed with the, with the thermostat and the uh, thermometer as well. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I changed the batteries in the temp gun. I uh, I checked some other stuff. I was going to have Jake bring his over so I could make sure that it wasn't just mine, you know, my temp gun's off or whatever. But I also realized, like, the ambient temperature and the surface temperature are going to be, like, two different things. But I would still think that there was some sort of correlation between the two to where they wouldn't be that far off. Yeah. So I had, a, like, a couple days of panic where I was like, dude, these things are at, like, almost 90. And they're going to freaking die. But... <clears throat> Hasn't been a problem yet. They're fine now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can uh, it can get really frustrating um, with the the variability in the the sensory equipment, mm-hmm. you know, to try and figure out which one's real. And um, you know, I before you know, I I actually was able to get any eggs. I I went out and I I ordered a um, uh, a lab calibrated NIST uh, traceable. Um, analog thermometer mm-hmm. so i would have one uh and i've been using that as my my guide for whether or not temps are where they need to be and fortunately that that jives quite well with the um the thermostat that i'm using i think it's spider robotics yeah i'm that. using a herbstat one yep yep and, and those those on... two coincide fairly well mm-hmm. so i i feel confident that things are where they need to be yeah, I, I like I said after putting the analog one in there and it kind of concurring with the other one, I was like, all right, temp guns just temp gun just sucks. So we'll yep. ignore, I'll ignore that. Yep. But it was frustrating, man. There was a couple of days because I'd drop it down to like eighty six point five, and then I'd temp gun them again, and it would still be at like eighty eight or eighty nine. I'm like, well, what the hell? Yeah. So then two days later, you know, I'd kind of bump it back up a little bit. Same thing, and so I'm like, what? Gee, like Jesus, this is getting really frustrating and <clears throat> finally got it figured out and I'm like whatever whatever happens happens yep godspeed yep. I uh I'm using a, a converted wine fridge yeah that's what uh, I'm using too yeah and um it's my first year using it and so I had everything I thought dialed in well in advance of any eggs laying being laid and um and then but once I did and you know I was using the the um, sim container as mm-hmm. my egg box and um, about a weekend uh, the eggs were just getting too desiccated uh, too dented in mm-hmm. and uh, you know I I've got a recirculating fan in the fridge um, and I had a couple like small dishes of, of water in there too, just kind of bump up the humidity yep. in, the, in the the fridge itself and that wasn't enough. I think the the air um, traveling around in there because the the sim containers, the lids aren't airtight by any means, and I think there was just too much air moving in yeah. and out of that box, and it was causing the eggs to lose a little bit too much moisture. And you know, that's the other thing too. It's it's like almost like you're expecting a real kid. You know, it's like yeah. you don't want to <laughs> you don't, don't want to mess around with anything. Right. You you know you don't want to 
you don't want to jinx it. You don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. And a weekend I was like, ah, oh, shit, you know, I, I've got these eggs and they're starting to dent in too much. I gotta, I gotta get in there and do something and, and move them around. And so I ended up, um, putting together a, a 12 quart Cambro, um, tub and I, I used vermiculite in that and put the eggs in there and, and, um, put them back in the incubator and, you know, within 24 hours, they were all plumped up and, and look really nice. See, I'm about to switch to, to vermiculite too, because I'm using, I'm doing what what Harlan recommended, which was the water on like the pontoons with the light diffuser in a right. container with the mesh. And I'm like, mine are getting dented. Yep. And so I sent, I called him the other day. This was only like three or four days ago. I called him. I was like, hey man, I was like, I need to, I need you to, to look at these and tell me if, you know, these need to, something needs to change because these things are kind of looking pretty, like they're not very plump. And so I sent him a picture, and he's like, "Oh no, man, you're fine." Yeah. So I get, I don't, I don't know. Like, it might yeah. be the same thing with letting the female sit on them, where I'm like, I'm gonna stick with it. But I've had, every, yeah. I've had multiple people tell me like that would happen. They'd put them on vermiculite, and they plumped right back up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Harlan's got a ton of experience, so I, I'm sure <clears throat> he would tell you um, if things aren't looking right. And you know, I I've seen a bunch of pictures too of of you know maternal incubation eggs and they are not the prettiest looking things and, mm-hmm. and animals still hatch out of those eggs and you know that it's it's an interesting topic too of you know because a lot of people still experience a lot of mortality in the eggs mm-hmm. and, and there's a you know people have a million different theories as to why and you know sometimes i wonder maybe we are like hydrating them too much you know or you know, maybe they're not supposed to be super plump all the way through the incubation process. Cause you look at maternally incubated eggs and they're definitely not super plump, yeah. you know? Um, so it's, I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, I was kind of like, what the hell? Like they're sitting in a box that's sealed over water. Like there is no reason they should not be denting this early like, yeah. at all. Like it yeah. doesn't make any sense, but like I said, I've asked around because I like to get multiple opinions. You know, I really appreciate all of Harlan's information. I just like to ask around to see how, how everyone kind of does their thing. And that's also part of Definitely. the frustrating part of it all is like, you ask 10 different people, everyone does something 10 different ways. Yep. And then everyone has, you know, they're, they'll do it the same as somebody else, but they'll do it just slightly different from that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't know who to, who to believe. And that's just what yeah. worked, that's what's worked for them. And I, you know, Will Banks was like, "Dude, once you get past this first, you know, round of these things, once you kind of get your own routine of how you do things, like it won't be a problem." He's like, "The yep. first, the first clutch is always nerve wracking because you don't know what you're doing." Yeah, you can be prepared all you want. You can read all the books you want until you actually have them like in front of you. You know, you do. It's just, it's not the same. Reading about no. it and actually having them are two different things. <laughs> Yeah, very much so. Very much so. You know, and everybody's setup is just going to be a little different. Things are going to behave differently. You know, I, I fully expected that the way I had them set up would be fine. You know, it's like you said, how in the world are they losing moisture when they're, they seem like they're absolutely surrounded by it, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's some interaction going on there with the water that's available in the air uh, and what they can absorb. And as soon as I put them in the vermiculite, it was like night and day, they plumped right back up. So um, you know, at that point, I'm just like, well, okay, I'm just going to ride it out uh, the way I'm currently doing it. It seems like they, they look good this way. 
Yeah, at some point, I'm really curious. I think I talked to you about the aquatic plant soil mm. thing. I'm re- I really have a hunch that that stuff would work well. Because I used it for yeah, custards, and I never had an issue. I never had mold. I never had any of that. Like, It's nice because it's like perlite to where it holds yep. water really well, but you can actually tell when it's drying out because as it changes color. It's porous because it's clay, so it's breathable. Right. Um, it, you know, I, there were times when I had crested eggs, you know, I didn't have to hardly add any water to them in the entire 90 days that they were in it. Um, of course, you, you incubate those at room temperature. You don't incubate those at, you know, the mid-80s that we're hitting them at. But Right, right. <clears throat> hopefully when I get some, some Baird's Rats eggs, that was a, I'll, uh, I'll experiment with it with those and then kind of go from there to see how that works out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice if, um, you know, we had the luxury of you knew you had like 15 chondro clutches. Yeah, <laughs> just experiment. Laid, you know, and you could you could experiment a little mm-hmm. bit, you know. Well, Luke Myers was like, dude, take a few eggs from the clutch and put them on that and then leave them there and see if that, you know, if anything happens. And I don't know. I might. There was like two loose ones because I didn't separate them. I kept them all together in the clump and... uh there's, I think, two or three loose ones that I, I don't know, I could try it out with, I guess, reasonably if I wanted to. It's just a matter of if I'm brave enough. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed yeah, to have, uh, hopefully, I'll have eggs. Uh, I'll have heads popping out around April 9th, give or take. Okay, yep. So getting through, I think this is I'm like a week and a half in now. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Banks and Fisher were like, you get through the first two to three weeks and you're golden. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah, it's exciting, man. It's it's super exciting. And everyone's like, this is going to be the longest fifty days ever, and I'm like, uh, I bred Cresteds for like two years. Those things take forever to hatch. You get used to yeah. it. <laughs> fifty days is actually nothing. That's like kind of nice. Crested eggs. It was like, man, you were waiting forever for those things to come out. Yeah, it's the uh, the monitor people that I don't know how they do it. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, those things yeah. take forever. Yeah. That's like actually having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then you you get super small clutches from them too, so it's like you wait all that you know all that time, and then you lose eggs, and it's like well, crap. You gotta start back at uh start back at zero. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> But we are at an hour and a half, man. Wow, that was fast. Yeah, it goes by quick. Where can uh, where can people find you? Uh, well, of course on Facebook. Um, you know my name, Dave Brahms. Uh, also, especially Enclosure Designs, I've got a site on Facebook, and then uh, my website is especially EnclosureDesigns.com. If you want to go and, and check out some of the stuff and and um, see if anything uh, fits what you're looking for. And if people have ideas for stuff, can they send it to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You... I, I'm totally open to that. I get people doing it all the time. Um, you know, I, it's a balancing act for me. I've got a full-time job um, in a family, plus mm-hmm. I'm doing this this printing stuff. So I, I try and, and, you know, make room um, and, and time for people to come up with stuff because they'll have a specific need and, and – more often than not, I'll, I'll be able to do uh, what they need as long as the, the sizes are within the, the capability of my equipment. You got any uh, any cool stuff in the works? As far as, like, new items? Yeah. 
nothing that I'm ready to reveal just yet. Okay. Um, but there is some stuff you know. kind of going on. There's some stuff. Yeah, there's always something. some ideas kicking around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. I got to I got to get the the neonate uh, magnetic perches nailed down first. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'm gonna be keeping an eye out for those. Yep. Yeah. I'll be sure to let you know. Cool. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Justin. Mm-hmm. I uh, I love that you're doing this podcast. This is like. You know, this is crack for people that uh, are into this hobby. It's awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah, we always need Chondro content. That's why I started yep. it. It's like we it's always, always need it. There can never be enough. Yep. All right, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yep, we'll talk soon. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Later. Bye.